Well, we're going to turn in God's Word once again to First uh, Peter chapter 1. And uh, again, this, this morning we're reading from uh, verse 3 down to verse 12, just like we did last week. Uh, but if you can remember, we only looked at the first couple of verses down to verse 5 last Sunday. Uh, and this week we're going to look from verse 6 down to verse 12. Uh, and last Sunday, we, we thought about a, a living hope. Uh, but this morning, uh, although it says living hope there, it's actually a hope for living. That's what we're looking at this morning. But we have a living hope that we thought about last week, but actually it's a hope for living. It's a hope that impacts the here and now in our life as well. So let's read God's word first. Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3 down to verse 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer once again. Let us pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that it is a light and a lamp unto our feet. Lord, that we are led by it, and Lord, we love your word in this place. Lord, we thank you that it strengthens us, it lifts us up, it encourages us, Lord. But thank you, Lord, that through your word as well, that you bring conviction to our souls, Lord, and you look to make us more like Jesus. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would refine us by that refiner's fire. And Lord, if we're honest, we probably don't even understand what that means. And Lord, we can often um, downplay how painful being refined is. Lord, thank you that in it all you have a plan that is good. Lord, thank you that all things work to, for, the, for those that love you, Lord, for good, who are called in accordance to your will and your purposes. Father, we want to walk through your paths that are there for your name's sake. Lord, sometimes that leads us to the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, sometimes we can feel like the weight of the world is upon us. But thank you that even that, though that is the case, Lord, even though that a lot of the New Testament was written to people who were being persecuted and were written by people in prison cells, that the, those that love you, those that are called by you, 
are called more than conquerors. Lord, thank you that we have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, live and dwell within us. So Lord, although we suffer in this life, Lord, thank you that that is not our identity. But as Peter thought, Lord, and as he said at the very opening of his epistle, you are elect, you have been chosen. Help us to trust and rest in that this morning, we pray. Lord, as we look at suffering this morning, I pray that you would guard any fragile hearts in this place. And Lord, would anything that is said and done be said and done in accordance with your word and your plan. And Lord, anything that isn't off you, would it just fall away, Lord, and would it not even leave my lips? For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. I, I, uh, I, like I said a few weeks ago, I've wanted for some time to look at suffering and, and what it means as God's people for us to suffer. I, th I think if I was to, I'm not going to ask you to do this, it's a rhetorical question, but if I was to ask you, um, you know, put your hand up if you've endured some sort of suffering in the last 12 months, I would suspect that most of us would put our hand up. There's something that has challenged us in our life, something that has been really difficult for us to um, go through and experience, and, and, and that's, that is sadly part of the world we live in. It's part of what it means to live in a world that is affected by sin. It's part of the consequences of this fallen world. But what does it mean then to be God's people and live in a world that knows sin and experiences sin? You know, we ourselves, we go through hardships, we grieve, we um, can be depressed, we can have ailments and sickness, and there's all these different things that we go through. So how does that relate to who we are and whose we are? What does it mean to be a Christian and be someone who suffers? I, I think in some places, in, sadly in the church, they would say that if, you, you know, if, you're, if you're sick, then you don't have enough faith. And that is, I don't think that's biblical. I think that we, we, there's things that we go through in life where we see the Apostle Paul, he had this thorn in his flesh. There was something that was in his life that was difficult and, and he went through and had to endure. And we see, you know, these, these people in the, in the epistles, you know, I mean, Paul wrote so many of his letters from jail. He was going through hardships and going through sufferings. Did Paul not have enough faith? Is that what we're saying? That's, that's crazy. So what does it mean to be a people of faith that experience suffer, uh, suffering and experience hardship in this life? And that's one of the reasons why I love First Peter. As we said, and I'll keep on saying it, because we need to hold it at the front and foremost of our mind, that, that, that these people that, that, that Peter is writing to, you know, they're not having, you know, you know crazy chandelier swinging party church services and, you know, banners and poppers. They're going through really difficult times. Life has been really hard for them. Life has been hard for us in many different ways over the last couple of years. We've gone through a global pandemic. And in some ways, we're still living with the consequences of that. So what does it mean to be God's people who have this living hope within us? But it's not just a hope for heaven. It's a hope that should impact the here and now. So what does it mean to be a Christian 
and be someone who suffers. Well, hopefully this morning we're going to begin to tease some of that out. And over the, the weeks as we go through First Peter, there'll be more times we come back to this and we, we see this, this theology of suffering that Peter writes about and speaks about. You know, and absolutely our prayer is, you know, Lord, your kingdom come on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we long for. And that's what we, we want to see. We want to, we, you know, I believe that God can heal. Absolutely he can. But he's sovereign though. And there's times when we pray for healing and it doesn't happen. And why? Because God is sovereign. But actually we know in this life that, that we do go through various trials as First Peter puts it. And he begins, and we're going to pick up our thoughts this morning from verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice. So before he starts to speak about suffering, he's speaking about rejoicing. In this, you rejoice. And, and what is this in this that he is speaking of in, in verse 6? Well, last week we thought about this living hope that we have. About the, the promise of salvation. The promise of this inheritance that we have as God's people. That inheritance that is uh, imperishable. It's never going to perish. Um, it, it's unfading. It's undefiled. And it's kept in heaven. It's reserved for you as God's chosen people. And just as your inheritance has been kept, you too, by God's power, as God's people, are being guarded in this world through faith. So in this, you rejoice. In the living hope that you have, in being kept and guarded by God through faith in His power, you rejoice. The beauty of what is to come. The beauty of heaven. The beauty of this inheritance that is a living hope that we have strengthens the believer in the reality of just now. The main theme of last week was that we have this hope and, and, and that it should lead us to praise God. If you, have not, if you are in Christ this morning and he is all you have, you have enough. He is all you need. And even if he is all we have and we have nothing left in this life, we can still praise him. That's how, first, that's how Peter begins chapter 1 in verse 3. Blessed be the God. He knew he was going to go on to talk about suffering. But he begins by saying, praise God for this eternal hope we have. What we hope for, future tense, Peter is saying, allows us to rejoice present tense. What we hope for, allows us to rejoice here and now. What difference does your relationship with Jesus make in your day-to-day -day life? What difference does it make for you knowing that you are saved? Knowing that you've been called? Knowing that you've been chosen? What difference does Jesus make in your life? Often we allow current situations to distract from what is to come. We allow what we're going through to maybe begin to diminish that living hope that we have. When Peter is saying, actually, that living hope you have, which is secure, your salvation, it should influence every area of your life. And every situation you go through should be impacted by this living hope you have. Even your suffering. Even in the difficult times. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. Do not lose sight of that living hope that is secure for you by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Often what we do is, 
And I, I've been guilty of this myself. You know, I, I'm going through X, Y, and Z. So we end up saying, you know, God must not love me because I'm going through X, Y, and Z. But what we should do and what Peter is showing us here is we should be saying, I can get through X, Y, and Z because God loves me. I can get through this situation I'm going through because I have a living hope. See how that flips around and how it's a different way of looking, a different way of perspective. And this isn't saying that we as Christians will never go through hard times. We go through hard times, we go through trials, we go through low points, we go through depression, we go through grief. They're part of our experience here in this life. But what Peter is saying is, hey beloved, hey believer of Christ, in your low points, in your stress, in your grief, in your anxiety, in your depression, in your illness, in your ailments, in your troubles. Remember your living hope. Remember your inheritance. Regardless of the pain you go through in this life, you are secure because you have been chosen. And because of your salvation, no matter what we go through in this life, we are able to rejoice in Christ because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The famous preacher D.L. Moody told a story about a Christian woman who was always bright and cheerful and optimistic even though she was confined to her room because of illness. She lived in an attic apartment on the fifth floor of an old run-down building. And a friend decided to go and visit her one day and, and with her she brought another lady, another woman who was a person of great wealth. She was a very rich woman, this other lady that had gone to vis visit the, the, the poor old lady who had not been well. And since there was no elevator, the two ladies began the long climb upward. But by the time they reached the second floor, the well-to-do woman commented saying, what a dirty and filthy place to live. Her friend, her friend replied, it's better higher up. When they arrived at the third landing, the remark was made, things look even worse here than they did on the level below. Again, the reply was, it's better higher up. The two women finally reached the attic level where they found the, the bedridden saint of God and a smile on her face radiated the joy that filled her heart. Although the room was clean and the flowers were on the windowsill, the wealthy visitor could not get over the stark surroundings in which this woman lived. Without a moment's hesitation, the, 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 the woman responded by, saying, by blurting out, she said, it must be so difficult for you to live in a dirty and horrible place like this. Without a moment's hesitation, the saint of God who'd been bedridden for many, many years responded, it's better higher up. She was not looking at temporal things. With the eyes of faith fixed on the eternal, she had found the secret of true satisfaction and contentment. Friends, it's better higher up. Christians suffer in this life. Regardless of how much we pray, regardless of how much you read your Bible, regardless of how loud we sing in church, regardless of how much money you give on a Sunday morning. 
There is times where we suffer in this life. That weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And this is the hope of the gospel. That even though we weep at night, there's joy coming in the morning. It is better higher up. The weeping you experience just now, it's not forever. It's only going to last a night. And the hope of the gospel is that I can say to you this morning, there's joy yet to come. But don't misunderstand what Peter is saying. He's not undermining the suffering and the trials that these Christians are, these followers of Jesus, that they're going through. But actually what he's saying is that even though you're going through these various trials, the hope that you have is greater than any suffering you can endure. The hope you have in Christ is greater than any suffering you can endure in this life. And then in verse 7, Peter, on the back of these various trials where he's talking about, you know, you've been grieved by various trials for a little while. And then he goes on and he says this so that, in verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Peter here, he, he shows us part of the, the relationship between the Christian and the suffering that we go through. Why do we go through sufferings in this life? Like I said, it's, it's part of living in this world. You know, we, we grow old, we get pained, you know, we, we will experience death. There, it's just sadly part of what we experience here because of sin on this side of eternity. But also though, as one scholar puts it by, um, this is his interpretation of, of what Peter is saying here. And I referenced it in my prayer earlier on. Sufferings in this life function as the crucible for faith. Sufferings in this life function as the crucible for faith. Suffering, don't, don't misunderstand that. Suffering doesn't create faith. Because we know through God's word that faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. But as people of faith, the faith that we have is refined through the sufferings we go through. The climber doesn't know the worth or strength of the rope he has and he's attached to until he falls. It could be the best thousand pound rope he'd ever paid or it could have bought it in a, you know, a bargain shop. He's not going to know the strength of that rope that he's connected to until it comes time for him to need to depend on that rope. It shows that the genuineness of the rope that he's connected to. So too for us, friends, in our sufferings, we see the genuineness of our faith. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found in result. As I was preparing this, my, my, my heart was kept being drawn to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted daily for their faith. And here, you know, we've got a phrase in, in this side, this part of the world where we talk about Sunday Christians. You know, it's, it's just what they do. And it's just what you do on a Sunday. You just go along to church. It's part of your routine. But it doesn't really go any deeper than just an hour on a Sunday morning. Well, do you know that there's no such thing as a Sunday Christian or a part-time Christian in any, any place that's experiencing persecution? If tomorrow Christianity became illegal in our country, here, home in Scotland, if tomorrow we woke up and on the news we saw that it's now illegal and anyone found worshipping, anyone found praying, would either be imprisoned or put to death, I wonder who would be here next week. Which of us would gather to worship the Lord? And, and, and you might think that I'm being flippant by saying that, but that is some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's their experience. That's what they go through. That they gather knowing full well that if we're found here, we could be put to death. If we're found here, we could be imprisoned. And what we see through their suffering is it's the genuineness of their faith, their commitment to Christ. The desire that they have to be found with God and his people, you know for them, it's even worth dying for. So not what the Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What if tomorrow it became illegal for us to have a Bible in our house? And the consequences were the same, that you could be imprisoned or, or put to death. Who of us would still have a Bible? You might think that would never happen, and I pray it never does for us here and that we get to enjoy the liberty of, of, of living in a, in a country where we can gather without fear of persecution. But for many, like I said, that's their experience. Why on earth do they gather? Why is it worth risking death? Because they know that there is inheritance for them that is living. In Peter's analogy, the word here he uses is like being refined. And this word refined is, is a reference to the process of, of testing or, or refining precious metals. And we see him speak about gold here. And in that process, what we see in the refining process is the strength of that metal or, or, or the, the quality of that metal. It's tested by putting it into Fire And Peter is saying here that actually as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, that when we go through sufferings, that actually we're being refined. Now, isn't that mind-blowing to think that, that as you go through suffering in this life, that you're being refined, that, that you, you, we need to depend on Christ more. We have to lean into him more. That as we suffer in this life, by it, God refines and purifies his people. This should change our attitude to sufferings. It is still a suffering. It still hurts. It's still painful. It's still rubbish. It still breaks our hearts. We still gather and we still pray about them. But as we go through sufferings in this life, we have to trust that in it, God is refining us to be more like him. To be more like the one whom we love. Joe Scriven was a missionary from Ireland. He went over to Canada as a missionary. And he was joined by his fiancée who was also from Ireland. 
And as they were doing mission in Canada, just a short time before their wedding, Joe's fiance was killed in an ice accident. And Joe buried her with his own hands and a broken heart. A year later, in a letter to his mother, he reflected. And as I read this, my, my mind was blown. I was wondering, what would my response be? What, what would my response be to a situation like that? This was his response in a letter to his mother as he reflected on the death of his wife as they served the Lord together in mission. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Our faith is refined in the fire of suffering. And the emphasis here as Peter is speaking, amazingly, is not on suffering. It's not on the suffering that he is speaking about. But actually, the emphasis on the genuineness of our faith. That even though we go through these various trials, that, where does it lead us to? It may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the revelation, at Christ's second coming. This is so different to how the world looks at suffering. Your salvation, friends, it needs to impact every area of your life. And I know many of us are suffering. I, I, I speak to you and I know that many of us in our congregation are going through hardships and difficult times. But what God's word says to us that in your suffering, let your salvation impact what you're going through. For through them you've been refined like a precious metal in the fire. Mildred Struven said this, a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. Thank the Lord, the potter knows what he's doing with his clay. For in suffering, friends, we have to trust him. We have to take it to the Lord in prayer. And as I said, Peter begins this section, on this small section on suffering. He goes into it more later on in his letter. But this sh short section here, he begins this section on suffering in verse 6 by speaking about rejoicing. And just as he begins the section on suffering with rejoicing and with the truth and the, 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 of Christ's return, this is also how he finishes this wee section on suffering. That Christ is going to come back. That Christ will return. Never forget. Never forget your Savior loves you. Never forget you have been saved. And never forget he will return for you. Let them be, let the truth of Christ be the bookends that hold you together. He's your Alpha and your Omega. The beginning and end. Let him engulf you with everything that he has through everything that you endure. 
as I said, Peter finishes this wee section in verse 7, where he speaks about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says this mind-blowing thing, the, the, the truth of what it means to be a Christian today. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. We see him at work. We see his spirit move. But we've never seen him with our eyes. Though, but we love him. And in this, he's commending the people he's writing to for their commitment to Christ, for their love. He's commending them in their love for Christ, even though through everything that they're going through, he's commending them, even though you've not seen Jesus, you still love him. Your sufferings, your present sufferings have not tainted your view of God, he's saying. They're not full of misery or bitterness. They're full of love. They still love Jesus, even though they're enduring persecution for his name's sake. And we know that believing is not based on seeing. For if it was, we, we wouldn't be here. But just as Jesus said to Thomas, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who have not yet seen, but yet believe. And we live by faith and, and not by sight. And, and Hebrews says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, 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 the conviction of things not yet seen. So even though we do not see him, we love him and, and we can rejoice in this inexpressible joy that's full of glory. And it's just, it's incredible that even though we've not seen the risen Lord with our eyes yet, we love him. Because he's at work within us and we see him and we are here doing amazing things in our midst. Transforming us. Experiencing him. And hearing his word being preached, it causes faith to arise. Our joy and our rejoicing, friends, is found in Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. You could also, if you wanted to write a new hymn, in, in Christ alone, my joy is found. It's only found in him, not through anything I endure in this life, but it's only found in Jesus. That's why I can always rejoice, because he never leaves me. He'll never let me go. So everything I endure, everything that happens to me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I can still rejoice in Christ because he is with me and I am his. And this is a continual rejoicing, not dependent on what we are enduring. And in verse 6, Peter is speaking about a future rejoicing. But here he, he points to a, a present rejoicing that we can know through our union with Christ. Through being united with Christ through faith. Which is greater cause to rejoice. Because it's inexpressible joy and it's, it's full of glory. Friends, being a Christian is wonderful, isn't it? Being a follower of Jesus is the most amazing thing that we can have in this life. As Jesus puts it, it's about abiding in him. It's all about our union with him. That will never be impacted because we're saved. So we can always rejoice because of our union with Jesus. Peter means point here. I mean, we're just going to be drawing our, our thoughts to an end in a few moments. But Peter's main point is very clear. Believers who suffer in this life, they are not finished. They love Jesus. This is what you're saying. You love Jesus. He's talking to his audience. Although you've not seen him, you love him. Even though everything you are going through. 
Their lives are meant to. Friends, I want you to hear this this morning. As a believer of Christ, as the bride of Christ, our life is meant to be characterized by hope that shines forth with love and joy through everything that we go through, the good and the bad. Is that what we think of when we think of church? Well, there are people of hope who are full of joy and love. Is that what the world sees when they see us on a Sunday morning? I pray it is. Lord, bring us back to our first love. And what Peter is speaking about here in verse 8 and into 9 is he's talking about true Christianity. Not about traditions or this or that. He's speaking about true Christianity through faith. He says, you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's all about being united with Christ. And the outcome of that through faith is obtaining the salvation of our souls. Jesus didn't die to give us a presbytery. Jesus didn't die to give us a nice wee cozy church service at half past ten on a Sunday morning in Sandy Hills. He died to give us salvation. Let us never miss that. That is why he came. And we've become obsessed with the things that perish in this life. The traditions and the curtains and the carpets and the chairs and the pews and all these things that actually mean nothing in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely zilch. For what we are obtaining is the salvation of our souls. Let us keep the main thing the main thing. And that everlasting life that we have. He came so that you would not perish. But have everlasting life. And that imperishable inheritance. It gives us joy that is greater than our suffering. And finally, finally. In verses 10 and 12. Peter speaks in more detail about this salvation. And he looks to really create more awe and gratitude and, and wonder at the salvation that is ours through our union with Christ. And he does so by speaking about these prophets in the Old Testament that, that prophesied about the salvation that was to come. That they looked forward. But, but also he speaks about the angels. They, they longed to look into salvation. What is man that you're mindful of? And the angels ask. Why have you gone to the extent, Jesus, that you've gone to, to redeem God's people? And what Peter is saying is that in Christ, and we see this by the Spirit of Christ, he has revealed to the prophets of old the suffering that he would endure. Friends, for before the foundations of the world, Christ was crucified, Scripture tells us. He was always willing to redeem us. He was always willing to save us. He is constant in his love. No wonder Peter calls us to rejoice in Christ. What a faithful God we have, friends. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you have won for your people. We thank you that, Christ, you loved us so much. 
And Lord, thank you that we don't just have a living hope, but we have a hope for living here and now. That in that hope that we can go through anything in this life. Lord, we know that sufferings come. We know that trials come, tribulations. Lord, we, we know that. We experience them daily. But thank you, Lord, that even in spite of all that, that we can rejoice because of our union with Christ. I to the hills will lift my eyes. From whence does come my aid? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So Lord, be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.